Greetings, Amigops, and as Kyle would say, top teners everywhere. This is Mike from Top Ten with Kyle and Mike. This week, as every week, I'll be joined by our beloved co-host, Kyle, and we're going to be talking about a topic of Kyle's choosing, about which I know nothing. We're going to discuss this topic, we're going to debate it vigorously, and by the end of the episode, we will have a definitive Top Ten list, or so that's the promise. All right, Kyle. What are we talking about this week? Okay, Mike, what we have today is a goofy one, so bear with me. I have been hard at work on this podcast. I think it's fair to say I've done more work for this podcast than any other. I had to read a bunch of books to do research on it. Yep. So we are going to be doing Dr. Seuss characters, but we're going to be ranking them not by general greatness, but by the mischief... But by, by how mischievous they are. Okay. We're going to be ranking the mischief of Dr. Seuss characters for this top 10. I don't know where I got inspiration for this one from. I, I don't know. I, I saw a Dr. Seuss book somewhere and I just thought it could be fun. There is a iPhone application that has all of the Dr. Seuss books electronically on there. And it's like a neat little... Really? Yeah, it's like a neat little slideshow, like animated kind of way you read through them. It's very cool. And you can you can have it for, I think, 10 days for free to kind of sample it. I think the idea would be to get it on like an iPad for your kids to read. So I got that free trial. I read all the books. Noticed that there are a lot of mischievous characters. And here we are. Well, I, I just... I like so much the image of you getting back into this. And I like the, the way that this is a little modern twist with the app. Yeah, it was really delightful. I'm, I'm, I'm not like a, a purist in that I won't read ebooks. I have a Kindle and I enjoy it quite a bit, but this particular way to read, like reading a picture book in mm. this format was actually really pleasant. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Wow. I really like that. So I'm going to have to say, going into this topic, I am going to be a little bit in the passenger seat. Yeah. Because I'm not as I'm not as deep into the deep cuts of Dr. Seuss, but I'm excited to partially participate and largely learn. Yeah, I think this is a little more of a learning one because I don't know most of these. I didn't like most of these characters aren't house, not most maybe, but a lot of these characters aren't household names. Yeah. Some that you'd expect are. But mm-hmm. I think, and what I've done is I've taken an excerpt from each book, kind of highlighting the mischief behavior, mischievous behavior of said character. So I think this will be more of just like people kind of like remembering what, how fun these books are and really appreciating the, the work of Theodore Giesel because these are some dope ass rhymes. Well, let's, okay. So I think let's, let's do this. Why don't we treat this as a little bit of a learning one? I, instead of participating fully, I will do a little bit of the learning sort of like we did with the top 10 books to read if you like gone girl i think that that will be a a better format for this okay well don't be but don't be afraid to to no. to pipe up i'll i'll chime in where necessary i also just want to note one other thing about this list that i really like which is that i think subconsciously and sort of a little bit here and there we've slipped into being a little bit more kyle and mike centric in our list making and i like that you are taking a step back being very objective and making a list about something that isn't necessarily <laughs> occupying a huge part of your little soul directly in our wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, I like that. No, I, yeah. I actually, re- I think this is a this is a good step for us, and maybe could open some possibilities. Yeah, I, like picking something that neither of us knows much about, and one of us does some research on, could be a fun way to to go forward with this for everyone involved. So yeah, I think so. So here we go. And that's yeah. Here we go. So we got some criticism on one of our recent pods <laughs> in that we like, really didn't explain at all how we were ranking something. Mm. So I'm going to I'm going to lay it all out here so we're all clear. Hit us with some preamble, baby. So one of the criteria I used was the level of mischief that the character gets up to. So a character that performs something more mischievous than another will be high on the list. Okay. However, some of these characters kind of lean into the more evil side of things, and it's not pure mischief. It's like actually like something kind of evil. And so if there's a tint of that, it can kind of like lower your overall mischief score, if you catch my yep. meaning. I do. And part of how I'm judging how mischievous a character is, is the reaction of their victim. 
or just the person that's forced to interact with them. Yeah. So sometimes something might not seem like the most mischievous act, but the way that it's affecting those around them can up its up its mischief score. That's a good point. So like let's say I like to bounce a bouncy ball and I don't consider that a mischievous act, but it really pisses you off. That's kind of in <laughs> contributing to my mischief score. So let's get started. That's a good way to good way to start. Okay. Number ten is from a little book called Hop on Pop. Are you familiar? Perfect. I am familiar with Hop on Pop. It's a phrase that is used much in my home. <laughs> Do you hop we, on your own pop? Yeah, we would just like, I actually don't even really know where, like, my dad was more of, he would hop on us. He would do something called a steamroller, so which pop is where he will would just hop. roll over us. Yeah. <laughs> he loves to roll over us. My dad is very large, and he likes to just steamroll us. I believe that. So I think maybe this was like a revenge fantasy where we hop on pop. <laughs> so, so the, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's these kids <laughs> that are hopping on their dad. Hop on, on pop in this case. So uh, number 10 is the hop on pop kids. And from the book, an excerpt. I just Google imaged. It's a great image. <laughs> from the book, hop, pop. We like to hop. We like to hop on top of pop. That's it. They're just doing it because they like it. They just like to hop on yeah. pop. They like to hop on their dad, jump on their dad. And I did some research. I looked at the cover of the book to see, like, is this something that he's enjoying? Like, did he tell them, hop on pop? Because if so, <laughs> it's not mischievous. And That's based, a great point. Based on his look, this is he was probably sleeping just before this started. Yeah, he looks startled, I would say, is how I would describe yeah, the look like, on the, the face. He was not expecting to be hopped upon. No, he really doesn't look ready for this. He doesn't look exactly dismayed. He looks more surprised. And that's important, too, because he doesn't look like he's in any serious pain, which is why this falls squarely in the realm of lighthearted, good-natured mischief. He's a man with an ample belly, so the hopping is okay. Yeah, and they're getting some decent air. Yeah, I actually just, before we get continue on Hop on Pop, I want to clarify something I said about a minute ago, because... My father, Jerry, who listeners will know, is himself an avid listener. When I said he's a heavy person, I want to be clear. He's an exceptionally well-built and muscular man who runs well north of two bills. And when he rolls over you, his many muscles hurt when they roll over you. So that's full clarification. Yeah. Didn't do not want to give anyone a false impression of Jerry. It's also kind of funny because, like, in conjunction with you saying that he was heavy and that he hosted our cookies pod, one might assume that he was in fact (laughs) extremely rotund. Yes, it's more like that's him on cheat day. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So that's enough for hop on pop kids. Yeah. Great. Great pick. I love. That's a good. That's a good opening. It's a good primer. Yeah. Number nine. Number nine is a character you won't recognize by name. Number nine is the Onceler. I'm not sure why he's called that. Okay. He is the primary antagonist of the Lorax. Ah, okay. So, so that, is that the... That Danny DeVito does the voice of the Lorax, right? That feels right. Yeah. At any rate. So the Onceler is pretty evil. Like, Dr. Seuss teaches us a lot of things. He teaches us about tongue twisters, how to rhyme simple lessons and he teaches us some pretty important lessons a little bit ahead of his time the lorax is Mm -hmm. all about (laughs) the ill gains of industrialization and (laughs) the harmful consequences of disregarding the health of our planet so the onesler is is basically uh tearing down all these trees and creating these factories so he's actually like an evil character What's most mischievous about him is that at the very beginning of the Lorax, this kid, our our access point into the story, comes upon the Onceler's abode, this little tower, and he wants to know what's happened to this place, where are all the trees and shit. And <laughs> before the Onceler will tell him what is up, this from the book occurs. On the end of a rope, he lets down a tin pail, and you have to toss in 15 cents and a nail. And the shell of a great, great, great grandfather snail. So you have to like pay this fee just so the one slur will tell you all about the ways he completely fucked up this, this once great land. 
like that's pretty mischievous and but like also supremely dickish and kind of evil yeah so that's why he's so low it's interesting what you're saying and the google images i'm getting and i would encourage all listeners to follow along at home if you if you have access to these actual books i would recommend you take a look but if you don't i'm guessing you have the internets take a look because this is fun i'm sort of imagining a combination of the riddler and saruman and i find this dickishness to kind of put him in league with our friend the Riddler. I also think it's interesting, and I am certainly not mistaken with a marine biologist quite as frequently as George Costanza is, but... Is anyone a marine biologist? Is anybody a marine biologist? But the question of a great... Was it a great-great-grandfather snail? A great-great-great-grandfather snail. Okay, triple great. I'm imagining that the snail's shell grows as it lives... And so the notion of this snail is, it's, it seems like a specific insult to the environment to take right. the shell of a snail so old and great. Yeah. No, it's, it's terrible. It's like killing a unicorn. Whoever like yeah. listens to the one swear's tale is probably living a half or a cursed life at this point. Something of that sort, for sure. <laughs> That's really interesting, but it's so, it's so off center that it kind of, it it falls, it seems more mischievous than evil because it's so weird. Yeah, like the weird things that he collects, uh, the 15 cents makes sense, but the nail yes. and the great-great-great-grandfather snail are kind of weird, and that's kind of where the mischief comes in. He's very mm-hmm. low because the rest of his behavior is quite frankly boorish. Yeah. What, what are the green gloves all about? So, I just Google image searched this, and it looks like they like took some liberties with his characterization in the film in the mm. book he's just like a like an eyeball peering out of a tower i don't know what's going on here he does kind of look like the riddler he does but he's like i can see why they chose this design because he's in the book he's like an enterprising you know he takes advantage of the area he raises the trees for his own personal gain like he looks like like a venture capitalist in the movie so that yeah. kind of makes sense very interesting. All right, the one slur. I like that. Yeah, that's the one slur at number nine. <laughs> number eight is from a, a popular a popular book of of Seuss's called Horton Hears a Who. Mm. It's also been made into film. So, for context, I'll bring you into the into the book. Horton, with his large ears, as the as the title implies, hears a who, mm-hmm. and they all live on the the petal of a little flower. And he's, like, stunned to find that, like, these tiny little people have this huge community on this little flower, and he really uh, develops a love for these tiny little folks. He never knew they were there before. And then he needs to he needs to get the flower somewhere so they don't all perish, and he's helping them out, and he's got the flower in his trunk. And he loses the flower to a guy named Vlad Vladikov. And he's... Okay. Are you familiar with Vlad Vladikov? I have become familiar with Vlad Vladikov since I Google searched Dr. Seuss villains, and I was really hoping that I would learn a little bit about Mr. Vladikov. Mr. Vladikov is just a, he's a jerk. He could have fit, some of these guys could have fit well on our uh, jerk villains list. So he procures the, the flower from Horton only like seemingly just to kind of like rile him up and from the book. And at 6.56 the next morning, he did it. It sure was a terrible place that he hit it. He let that small clover drop somewhere inside of a great patch of clovers a hundred miles wide. So he's like a big like vulture type thing, like some kind of yeah. bird of prey or a carrion. And mm. he, as I just said, he drops this one clover into, it, lo- it basically looks like the poppy field in The Wizard of Oz is kind of how it's illustrated. I this like that image. Huge field, and Horton has no idea, and he has, to, like, it's like, it's not literally, but it's, a, you know, it's a needle in a, it's much worse. It's a clover in a patch of, like, millions of clovers. It's like, that would be like hiding a needle in a needle stack. Yeah. <laughs> This Vladikov fella seems like kind of a dick. He is a dick. So what is his, so what's his motivation? It's unclear. He's just like kind of a, well, so the, uh, it's, it's cool. This is one of my favorites that he's written. And there's just a lot of people. Horton's like, look at, there's these fucking who's. They live on a fucking flower. It's incredible. 
and all these people, all these other animals in the forest are like, Horton, you're, you're crazy, bro. Like, there's no little people living on this flower. And they're just like antagonistic because Horton's mm-hmm. saying something that they don't, like, either they're mad that they can't see the who's too, or like, they're, so life they, lessons kids. They're jealous. And like, they just like kind of want to marginalize Horton because they don't want to deal with it. And so that's kind of his inspiration. And then, like, at the end of the novel, um, to convince all these people that, like, no, really, there are these who's on this flower. I can hear them. All the who's have to get together to make a ruckus so loud that someone other than Horton can hear them. And it's, like, ten pages of all the who's, like, ringing the town bell and getting everyone in the square, like, to make a ruckus loud enough. And they can't get any, they can't get anyone to hear them. It's, it seems like all hope is lost and, like, the tiniest who, finally is roused like out of bed or something and it contributes adds his tiny little voice to the din and that is enough to get someone's attention and it's just a story about how even the littlest among us in a group can make a contribution and how even the smallest even the smallest and and least noticeable of us has something has something important in us and something to contribute it's really a a beautiful little book i I, everything about i can want to read this that sounds amazing it's first of all this is this feels like a a pretty overtly political sort of message not necessarily with any particular movement in mind because i have no idea what dr seuss's politics were but it sounds like it's a message of people don't like to hear difficult things that they don't understand participate mm-hmm. have your voice be heard like it sounds it sounds like all of those sorts of really good transferable messages that can translate to whatever your system of ideology is that's just like really good stuff to teach kids just believe that you can contribute participate and i love that ending that's such a great it's so clever because it ties in the the elephant piece of this story really nicely because nobody else can hear it because he's got the big ears mm-hmm. and it also allows for a cute image of the littlest who to make a contribution i i really like that it's a beautiful book i i had not read that one as a kid i wasn't familiar with it and as an adult i was sitting there like not tearing up but just like yeah like taking something from this book I was, it, yeah I, it's a good reminder it's because that's my point about that being a transferable lesson is it holds for being an adult too oh. like that's stuff that you oh, need to remember so maybe i mean it's for a kid it's awesome like i'm a little kid yeah. i'm short smaller than an adult, but I have meaningful contributions to make. As an yeah. adult, there's a lot more to it that you can you can take from it. So I, I do have one practical question about this setup. Are all who's tiny? So it's in the Seuss verse it it raises some interesting questions. Like are all the who's in another Seuss story tiny like that? Like and actually now that I think about it, in, at the beginning of the Grinch movie, aren't they? Isn't uh, it like a? Isn't a it like snow- a zoom in onto a snowflake? Yeah. So the answer is yes. Apparently, I guess the answer is yes. Okay, I never real. I never realized that. Which I like because it means that who's could be real. Still, I guess so that small that true. we haven't discovered them. That's a very good point, the Kyle. Who's. That's a beautiful thing. Speaking of who's, yes, we are at number seven. Yes. And number seven is someone everyone knows. Number seven is the Grinch. Mm-hmm. Now. He's a mean one. That's precisely it. The thing about the Grinch is that while he is mischievous, his intentions are not really to cause mischief. Like, his intentions are are pretty mean-spirited at heart. From the book. Then he slunk to the icebox. He took the Who's Feast! He took the Who Pudding. He took the Roast beast he cleaned out that ice box as quick as a flash why that grinch even took their last can of who hash like that's just that's a b and e like he broke into like, he broke into their house that's, and he yeah he like he didn't just take all their christmas decorations like he took all their food like that's a pretty serious invasion of home and, and an invasion of privacy and so like it's it's bad enough that I've I've docked him some spots on this list because it's not purely mischievous. That being said, The Grinch's Redemption is a wonderful tale. It's a beautiful thing to behold. It's a real heart warmer. I, they say while reading the, the Grinch, your heart can grow up to three sizes. Which is in a not single a day. problem. If now let's just for the audience, we don't dispense medical advice on this show. <laughs> get, get get that checked out. Yeah, it's not good. 
<laughs> that's elephantitis or whatever. You know. Yeah, that's that's a bad thing. That would be a real problem. If you're so, if yeah. your heart is not as microscopic as the Grinch's to start with, you are in serious trouble. Yes, I believe that it's 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 a it's not so much about the percent gain versus your current right. heart size as it is like the relative gain versus the average slash correct heart size. Right. <laughs> right. So, yes. so that's the Grinch. I mean, like it felt weird to not put him on here at all. And like, yeah. to be sure, there's definitely, there are certainly aspects of his plan that are mischievous, like, like dressing up Max like a reindeer. And yeah. I think particularly. Yes. Like, there's some silliness about it, and the fact that he dresses up like Santa, I think, contributes to, in, in the movie particularly, like, it's obviously zanier than it is in the book. The, 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 the Jim Carrey one, not so much the, yeah. the animated Christmas special. But, I mean, it, it just, it, I, I considered leaving him off the list because the mischievous elements were s- slim, but you can't leave the Grinch off, even though it's no. like this, and. No, that's a serious, that's a serious thing, is that, we all, the Grinch has to be on this list. But I think that there's good reasoning in it, and I think you're touching on it. What I think is interesting is that the Grinch book or movie obviously weren't going to have the Grinch come in and, you know, mow people down because they were mean to him as kids. <laughs> like, that's a, that's a difficult version of the Grinch to sell to, you know, the people in the executive producer's office. But I think it is interesting that he doesn't go meaner. And I think doing things like dressing Max up as a reindeer betrays the fact that all he wants to do is mischief and not evil. Like he, well, he's, he's trying to do evil to right the wrongs of his childhood. But what comes out is often mischief because it's more truly aligned with who he really is. Yeah. He's a fun loving guy. Right. Like he would, he would go full evil if it were more in him to go full evil, but he's kind of the the mischievous slash evil stuff he does, I think, is as far on the evil spectrum as he can go. Right. Because he is fundamentally a mischievous rather than evil character. That's why Jim Carrey is so perfect. Five o'clock, yeah. stare into the abyss. Six o'clock, dinner with myself. I can't keep canceling. <laughs> <laughs> Quick plug, watch that Jim Carrey documentary if you haven't. Oh, yeah. In the audience. Did you watch that? I didn't. I should. It's really interesting and worth watching okay you've convinced me yeah that was number seven which brings us to our not top three it sure does for the not top three i've I've selected three characters who dislike mischief Mm. and those who practice it i like that that's a that's a good angle for this one that feels adequately mischievous like that's sort of a mischievous take on the not top three i agree so the first one we've, we've discussed pretty much at length kind of at length now is Horton mm-hmm. Horton I mean it's not like he's I mean he's he's just a good guy it's not like he's opposed to pranking but he's like di- uh, the direct butt of Vlad Vladikov's mischief and he's such a kind hearted and, and purely good character that I felt inclined yeah. to put him on here mm-hmm. I get that number two pertaining to the character we just discussed and not uh, I think she's called out by name in the book, but she's got a very prominent role in the movie is Cindy Lou who. Yeah. She's the sweetheart with whom, who I attribute the bulk of the legwork in converting the Grinch over to a Christmas loving and celebrating Grinch instead of the Christmas hating one. She's the sweetest little thing. And like the fact that she, like, even though she sees him and thinks that he's Santa stealing all their stuff, she like doesn't hate him. Like that act of love. Goes a long way. Agreed. So that's Cindy Lou Who. Number one, <laughs> this is the one who just actually despises mischief in its purest form is the fish from Cat in the Hat. Like, <laughs> like literally his only function, or the only thing he cares about, the only thing that motivates him is the ceasing of the nonsense and the tomfoolery that is surrounding him. He cannot abide it. I think that the Brits would refer to him as a prig. <laughs> Yes. So, which, which, it's like, this is the, he's the picture in the dictionary next to Prig. Yeah, he's kind of a, not a, he is kind of a fun killer. But like, he's just, like, he, unlike these other two, he's not even like, necessarily good hearted. He just like really doesn't like mischief. Exactly. Yeah. 
And now that I think about it, I think I maybe should have leaned more into that kind of idea. And there are a couple more on this list that like could fit that bill a little better. Like the Lorax, for example, like his intentions aren't like, like the way he goes about it, like instead of like trying to stop the Wensler from like destroying his homeland, he just kind of like gets everyone else out. And so like, that's kind of weird. There are a couple of other nameless characters. We'll, we'll get to them later. That's the, that's the not top three. I like that. It seems like it's sort, it's generally sort of a list of who's not in on the joke. Right. <laughs> Precisely. Number six brings us to Fox from the book Fox and Socks. Now, this book. It's a classic rhyme. Oh yeah. This, and that's just where the fun begins. This. <laughs> This book is is only in existence to twist your tongue into a billion knots. That's the only reason it was written. And the fox in this case is antagonist. Like, the fact that he's saying all these tongue twisters isn't really, like, the most purely mischievous thing to be doing. But his compatriot, his amigo, is just, like, not having any of these ridiculous tongue twisters. Like, he can't stand it. And so, like, the fact that he just, like, won't stop annoying this guy, and we'll see this again on this list a couple of times, is why <laughs> he's on, is why he's here. Uh, so his friend is named Mr. Knox from the book, and bear with me. Mr. Knox, now come now. Come now. You don't have to be so dumb now. Try to say this, Mr. Knox, please. Through the three cheese trees, three free fleas flew. While these fleas flew, freezy breeze blew. Freezy Breeze made these three trees freeze. Freezy Trees made these trees cheese freeze. That's what made these three free fleas sneeze. Wow, that was beautifully done. And I know we've let you in on some of the magic of radio slash podcast. That was not edited in any <coughs> sense. That Kyle pulled that off on one take. I don't mean to flex or anything, but like I just rattled that shit off. Yeah, that was pretty great. I can't believe I did not expect to be able to do that on one take. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Suck yeah, it. That was, suck it, that Fox. Was, suck it, Fox. You, you suck it, you children's character. Yeah, suck it. So, um, that's the Fox and Socks. Yeah, I love it. I also love the animation on that. That's a just, yeah, that's a really delightful image. Yeah, that's a fun book. And I, that was one, just one of many many tongue twisters it's even it's hard to read it even without saying it aloud it's just it's hard to read it just like in your head yeah i agree this also sort of as an aside and by sort of i mean entirely as an aside (laughs) if you had to rank your top three fictional foxes would you say that the fox in socks would rank above or below the fox from the missing oh my (laughs) i was having so much fun on this podcast How'd you do that? <laughs> Sorry, man. I love that fox. Oh, it is a good little fox. There are actually enough foxes that we could maybe do that. So and that actually would be <laughs> a really that would actually be a really fun. Of, fun I can think of at least two other foxes. Yeah. Okay. That brings us to the top half of this list. Yes. This is this here is an obscure character. I'd never heard of him. I'd be surprised if you had. Number five is Marvin K. Mooney. <laughs> Nope, don't know this man. He's from a book called Marvin K. Mooney, Will You Please Go Now? Exclamation Wow. <laughs> that's that's a hell of a title. That seems not in keeping with his general title conventions. No. <laughs> Will you please go now? What I love most about this book is that we, at the beginning of the book, have no idea why he must go. <laughs> now. Now. And at the end of the book, we have no idea why he must go now. We never find out. It's a mystery from start to finish. What has Marvin K. Mooney done to warrant such hostility? We do not know. What we do know is that he must go now, and it does not matter how. From the book. If you wish, you may go by lion's tail. Or stamp yourself and go by mail. Marvin K. Mooney, don't you know? The time has come to go, go, go. So, like, this guy's serious. Like, this has to happen now, and, like, it doesn't matter. It does not matter how it happens. So is our impression, and it seems from your 
you're reading there, which was, which was lovely. And some of the images I'm seeing that this is not so much Marvin is looking at his watch or somebody's reminding Marvin, like, Hey, you know, you got to no. get to that meeting. This is more like, you better go now or I'm going to whip your ass. Like this, like, this is our narrator is like so over Marvin K. Mooney being there. It's not, and it's yeah. not like Marvin K. Mooney has anywhere to go. Like he's, yeah, a, and Marvin is not interested. It's not, he didn't forget that he had to go of no. his own volition. Yeah. And it's not like he's like lazing about in bed and someone's trying to wake him up. Like you have to go. It's like you have overstayed your welcome, Marvin K. Mooney. And quite frankly, I don't even care how you leave, but you just have, you just, I just can't fucking. I can't write. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, you just fucked my cartoon wife. <laughs> like, what is the matter with you? You must go now. We don't know. I'm going to rain lightning down <laughs> upon you from the heavens. <laughs> so, like, I think that's what's so incredible about this is, like, I don't actually know for a fact that what he did was mischievous. Like, it could have been something really awful. <laughs> yeah, let's talk. All right, let's go real quick. Give me your top three scenarios. Like, what happened before this? He 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 had sexual relations with the narrator's significant other. I think Go, that's what, one. I think what's probably most likely is that he was invited over to watch like a, a game, and the game ended at like three o'clock, and it's now like eight thirty, and like our narrator, oh. our narrator is like trying to get dinner on the stove, and like like actually has some things to do before work tomorrow. And Marvin is like, just like, hey, well, let's, let's see what's, uh, what's going on. And like, he keeps like channel surfing and like, it's like, it was fun hanging out with Marvin, but like, you have to go. Wow. I'm not going to name names, but I will say that I did have, (laughs) (laughs) I did have an experience that was improbably similar to the scenario you just laid out with a mutual acquaintance of ours recently. (laughs) Who I wonder? Who is he? It was improbably similar to that scenario. And I will say that I started mentally, I didn't even know that this, this book existed. And I was saying these things in my head. Can we use Marvin K. Mooney as a code name for our mutual friend from now on? Yes. Just to the mutual friend. If on the off chance this is the first one you've listened to in quite some time, I love you. You're the best. I'm so glad you came over. I had a nice time. We love you, Marvin. Yep. Just when somebody invites you for a football game, Marvin, <laughs> you come over somewhat near the, f- like when the game starts, not with five minutes left in the fourth quarter and then stay for an extra hour and a half after. <laughs> tough, tough, tough look for our guy, Marvin tough, K. Mooney. Tough look for Marvin K. Mooney. Yep. Well, that was number five. Uh-huh. <laughs> number four is a character by the name of Sylvester McMonkey McBean. (laughs) (laughs) This is Sylvester McMonkey, nay McBean. (laughs) He's from a book that you've probably not heard of called The Sneetches. (laughs) I do know The Sneetches. Oh, you do know The Sneetches. I do. So... So you're familiar with the, the the plot of the novel and everything? No, not, I I was at one time. Okay. But I remember the Sneetches distinctly. I have a good mental image of the Sneetches. So here's another one that is definitely has some modern day relevance. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the There Will Be Blood of <laughs> the Seussiverse. This is like this is like the Spike Lee of like the Seussiverse. Yeah. So Sneetches are these weird, like, they're kind of like big bird looking creatures. They've got like long legs. They're kind of bird type things. And some Sneetches, we don't know why, they have these like stars where their belly button should be. And some Sneetches don't. It's like kind of a half and half thing. And then this guy, Sylvester McMonkey McBean, shows up. And all of a sudden, <laughs> People, and he has a machine with him, or maybe, maybe they kind of, I think some of the Sneetches that don't have stars on them are like kind of wishing they had some stars on them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I get that. And that's when Sylvester McMonkey McBean shows up. <laughs> <laughs> that name is so great. From the book, my friends, he announced in a voice clear and keen, my name is Sylvester <laughs> McMonkey McBean, and I've heard of your troubles. I've heard you're unhappy, but I can fix that. I'm the fix-it-up chappy. I've come here to help. I've come here to help you. I have what you need, and my prices are low, and I work at great speed, and my work 
is 100% guaranteed. So this guy is a this guy knows what he's doing. He's slick. He's, yeah, he's slick. He's got his he's got his elevator pitch. He speaks in a voice clear and keen. Uh, so this machine he has for the low cost and <laughs> with very little time investment will put a star upon your sneech belly. So all of a sudden you're a, a sneech with uh, a star on their stomach. So so some of the sneeches without stars start to do this. And now I remember correctly, this this the sneeches with stars on them are a little hoity and toity about it. They think they're better than the other sneeches. And so obviously they're not super happy about this. Like all these this, these fucking trash yeah. no stars all sudden, yeah the Novu Sneech yeah yeah all of a sudden they've got stars and so the star Sneeches don't like this at all but fortunately for Sylvester McMonkey McBean his machine also works in reverse so ah, as soon as ah. all of the non-star Sneeches get stars the star Sneeches get them removed Sylvester McMonkey McBean doubles his profits <laughs> and they kind of keep on behaving the way they were. And so the Sneeches are like, well, shit, now, like, we have these stars that hasn't helped us at all. Let's get them removed. And as you can imagine, this kind of, like, just turns into a back and forth. And each time they do it, Sylvester McBunky McBean is just pocketing that shit. And so the long and short of it is by the end of the book, no one can remember if they had a star or not to begin with. And so they're all kind of jumbled and some have stars and some don't. And then they realize that it really doesn't actually make a difference at all. And they kind of coexist happily after that. There's probably no life lessons to be taken from Man, that. Man, I wish this machine were real. Right? <laughs> that's like, damn, that's a great idea. Isn't it brilliant? I, I do. It's, oh, man, Dr. Seuss was a hell of a dude. This just reminds me of a probably, I would say probably our favorite shared quote, which is when everybody's super, no one is. Oh. And it's the same thing. When everybody has a star, nobody has a star. And when nobody has a star, everybody has a star. It's just, it's. It's it's amazing. What a great what a great mechanism for teaching a simple little lesson that I think people have a pretty hard time remembering. They have a hard time remembering that lesson. I I think it's funny because this sort of works on multiple levels. The most obvious is, you know, the the race stuff and kind of the 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 immutable personal stuff, but it also works in more of the taste stuff because I think that the one implication is like trying to change something fundamental about yourself, but there's also just the style thing, which is the Sylvester McMonkey McBeans of the world are like the clothes makers who have just started selling us tweed again. Right. Like tweed. Tweed? I love tweed. But Tweed was in like a hundred right. years ago. <laughs> Some asshole said, hey, everybody get Tweed. And then everybody was like, oh my God, burn the Tweed. And then everybody's like, dude, my grandfather had some dope tweed and he died and now i got his tweed like it's <laughs> so these Sylvester McMonkey McBeans, these, these hucksters are everywhere. Right. And so like what he's doing is not purely evil. It kind of like, leads to some poor behavior by the Sneeches. Yeah. What he's doing really is just some some con stuff and some chicanery, and it's yeah. extremely mischievous. Like, he's got this sly grin on his face. He's got this, like, fancy pants machine. He's selling yep. snake oil to these Sneeches. This guy is 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 a mischief maker, and like yeah, he's hey he's taking advantage of a yeah. an inefficient marketplace. Uh, that's for sure, and he causes the Sneeches like a lot of trouble. So this guy is a, this guy is a mischief maker, undoubtedly. Yeah. Sylvester McMonkey McBean. That brings us to some honorable mentions. I only have a couple here. First I have is Mr. Brown. He's from a book called Mr. Brown Can Moo. (laughs) (laughs) This is just to get kids to repeat sounds. From the book, Oh, the wonderful things Mr. Brown can do. Moo, moo, buzz, buzz. Pop, pop, eek, eek. Hoo, hoo, clop, clop, dibble, dibble, dop, dop. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Mr. Brown can do it. How about you? That's all there is to it, wow. really. So he's a low-tech version of where you push the button and it goes, moo. <laughs> it just, like, repeats animal noises and, like, generally gets on people's nerves. And, like, but he kind of moves on quickly. Like, as you might imagine, he, like, 
encounters a ton of animals, and by the end of the book, he's repeating all of these sounds. Yeah. So he he sees one, and then he's out of there. Like he's not like really lingering and bothering anybody to a great extent, but he's just like, I don't know, just like running around like making animal noises. That's vaguely mischievous, I guess. It seems mischievous. I want to make one brief note about something you and I were talking about, which is Arrested Development, mm. because this list has reminded me in two places. One is that Will Arnett, the actor who plays Job, did the voice of Vlad Vladikov, I found out in my searches, which seems like such a perfect person to have done that voice. That's one. The second is this Mr. Brown. I was just looking at some of the pictures, and this cockadoodle doop part reminded me of how all of the Bluths have a different <laughs> noise that they use to imitate a chicken, <laughs> none of which is bok 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 or cockadoodle do. It's all like chichi pachi, <laughs> and it's just such a great joke. It's really enjoyable. You'd fit right. Sorry, in. it's a real it's a real aside, but I, it was relevant to our topic earlier. Oh, absolutely, I like it. So <laughs> this one is awesome, and I kind of wanted to put him on the list, except that he's not really mischievous at all. He's just kind of evil and a dick Mm -hmm. but i it bears mentioning because this is such another brilliant allegory by seuss and this is one of his lesser known ones even though i think people know the name but probably don't know much about the story because i didn't uh yurtle the turtle from yurtle the turtle so from from the book he ordered nine turtles to swim to his stone and he piled piled them all up in a nine turtle stack he made each turtle stand on another one's back, and using these turtles, he built a new throne. So, I wonder if it kind of comes off in just the way that I delivered that, but, like, usually Seuss does A, or A-A-B-B, C-C-D-D, maybe back to A-A again. Like, that's kind of the structure of his rhyme, almost always. And this is A-B-B-A, and the the cadence switches a little bit, like... To me, when I read that, it came off as a little more serious, and I think, like, that's his intention, too. Like, this is not, like, as whimsical as some of his other books. It's yeah. about this turtle that, in a pond, he wants to be able to see a little further than he can, because the reeds are high. So he gets these first nine turtles to stand on a stone so he can see. And instead of them being like, oh, I can see the next pond over, and coming on down, he commands the rest of the turtles, oh, I want to see higher and higher, and higher, and at the expense of the turtles on the bottom, the turtles on the bottom are experiencing pretty severe back pain to support all these other turtles, and he's just obsessed, Yurtle is, with seeing further and further outside of his own pond at the expense of these other turtles, and at the end of the book, the turtle on the bottom, Mac, can't hold it, and he burps and sends the whole tower crumbling down. So this one turtle that was at the bottom of the pile ultimately had the power to to knock Yurtle off of this turtle tower. And it doesn't read quite as as whimsically as his other stuff, but it's very it's another important uh lesson that maybe is for intended, I think, almost intentionally for a little bit of an older audience. Maybe for the parent reading the book instead of the kid sometimes. I I like and this is it's also a little longer. Like it takes a long it's his books you can read in, you know, 10 minutes or less. This one took me a little bit longer, especially since the, the word choice is a little more advanced. So I'm a big fan of Yurt of the Turtle. I, I didn't know it as a kid, and now yeah. it's one of my favorites. And he doesn't make the list because that's not mischievous. It's just exploitation and greed. But I thought I, I wanted to mention it because I don't know when I would mention it again in uh, on a podcast. Amen. I like that. That's your little turtle. My last honorable mention, <laughs> back to silliness, <laughs> is the Nooth Crush. The Nooth Crush? The Nooth Crush. Are you familiar with a, a book called There's a Walket in My Pocket? No. <laughs> it's just about this kid that lives in a house with all these weird animals that names rhyme with household items. And he just, like, lives in this house with all these goofy creatures. And the book is just him, like, running through the house and kind of, like, talking about each one in turn. And they're super creative and fun. But the most mischievous one is the Nooth Crush from the book. <laughs> all those numbers in the cupboards, they're kind of fun to have about. But that Nooth Crush on my toothbrush, him, I could do without. So, and if you, this, this is also worth a Google. It's just this, like, weird, goofy bird creature with long legs standing directly on top of this kid's toothbrush. <laughs> like, 
really silly. And I can understand, like, how annoying it would be to, like, go brush your wow. teeth. They just have this toothbrush standing there, so you can't brush your teeth until you've <laughs> removed it. This feels like a scenario, I don't know if Dr. Seuss had kids, but this feels like a very specific, his kid wouldn't brush his teeth, and he's like, oh my god. If you don't use your kid. toothbrush nightly, a toothbrush will, will settle yeah, on it. Yeah, like, it seems like this this had to have a purpose. Also, it's really worth Googling for the image, because wow, no, that is. is a, it looks like a pharaoh. Yeah, it's got like the, like the banded like hair kind of. Yeah. Wow, that is really something. I'd recommend reading through, there's a walking in my pocket, cause it's really goofy, <laughs> and like there are a couple different like feelings you get out of it. Like there are some like rooms in this house that are like really mysterious, and like the creatures in there are like, almost kind of scary. And then there's like the noothrush, and the nubbards, and the cupboards. Like it's just, it's a very, goofy and it's like it's just fun because like he's not like there's no rhyming skill involved really because he's like make he's just making up words making up a like, word bullshit like words. crush yeah it's just that's a fun one and it's like super fast I, I was one of my favorites as a kid so that brings us to our top three mm-hmm. and these three everyone will know i think people are kind of expecting these ones so number three is a fellow by the name of sam but he goes does he have any particular likes or dislikes well he likes to use non-conventional sentence structure. <laughs> <laughs> he must be distantly related to Yoda. Let's say, yeah, I think he might have a, a friend. This is Sam I Am, and he likes green eggs and ham. And he's a mischievous fella. He's just, like, non Like, he's annoying in the way that the fox in socks is, but it's a little different because he's dragging this other dude all over the fucking place like, to convince him of something that, like, really doesn't matter where you go. So, like, why are you bothering, like, to take him all these places? So uh, your thought is, like, if if I enjoy pancakes while sitting in a chair, I'll enjoy them over there. Like, there's yeah. really no reason for my taste to change from one seat to the other kind of deal. Yeah, well, and, like, but Sam, I am knows this like he's not an idiot like he doesn't think that yeah. like oh maybe you'll actually like them on a train or in the rain he knows that like he can just get him to try them eventually if he's just really annoying that's yeah. mischievous like sam i am is no idiot he knows that green eggs and ham taste the same everywhere that's a good distinction to make i think i th- and i think you're reading his intentions right he know like he he's like He's like your mom. He knows what's good for you. And in this case, he knows the way to get him to try green eggs and ham is just to pester him. From the book, you do not like them. So you say, try them, try them, and you may. Try them and you may, I say. (laughs) This book is also, this was a trivia question like a year or two ago. We actually got it right. It's the only, I think it's like the only, I don't know what it, I don't know what the like criteria is, but this book was written and there are only 50 different words in the entire book. Just incredible. Wow. Incredible to think about. That's nuts. Isn't that wild? Especially but, because it's it's not a pamphlet. I mean, no. it's it's not huge, but it's not it's just two because, pages. It's just because like it it pretty much just repeats try them, try them and you may blah 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 and then like you only have to swap out like one word a sentence. Would you like them on a train? Would you like them in the rain? Would you like them with a fox? Would you like them in a box? Like, it's just like swapping out kind of one word at a time and using mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. I, I mean, this is like, this is like, this is just a classic. And I think part of, I guess, like, like Sam I Am's fame, like, means something. Like, and the fame of this book counts for something. But I really do think that this is mischief for mischief's sake, almost. I agree. Although I his think ultimate it's... intentions are good. I agree. I think that what the origins of his intent and sort of the way he acts on it, they're not totally in accordance with each other. Right. So he's sort of like that vegetarian who wants to, he's, they're (laughs) excited to tell you they're a vegetarian because they want you to help make the same impact they're making at first. And then they tell you about it just to be a pain in the ass. Yep. And it's that second pain in the ass part that is the mischief. Not the initial well-intentioned, I'm trying to do a good thing part. (laughs) That's Sam I am to a T. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you're just... You never fail, but the metaphor might. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) It's what I'm here for. (laughs) (sighs) 
Okay. That brings us to number two. Number two. Number two is thing two and also thing one. I was hoping that they would be bundled. <laughs> I could have put thing one and thing two at one and two, I guess, but so it would have been. But the question is, which would go one and which would go two? Ah, uh, uh, then yeah, then I would oh. just be I would just be contrarian to put two at number one. Like exactly, oh, that would be that would yeah, be a really off. meta commentary on the fact that you're actually the dick in all of this. Yeah, that's the yeah, that's the twist. I'm the dick. Yeah. I don't have to explain too much. Everyone knows about thing one and thing two, but from the book. Then those things ran about with big bumps, jumps, and kicks. And with hops and big thumps and all kinds of bad tricks. That's an understatement. And like that's just that's just the start of this shit, man. Like like bumps, jumps, and kicks, like I wish we'd go back to a time when it was just bumps, jumps, and kicks by the end of this book. Like yeah. these things are these things are fucking crazy. Like they're wild. They just like run around. I had to catch them with a net. Like they can't be reasoned with. They can't be bought. Some yeah. men just want to watch the world burn. Some do, and usually when one hears that, they're associating that with like a meth head, psychotic clown. But that's not always the right association. <laughs> Sometimes it's thing one and thing two. Yeah, and like the fact that like mischievous kids. Will often be wearing thing one and thing two t-shirts. Like this is a yeah. this is a cultural thing. Like it's yeah, un- it's like a cute. It's like oh, I have twins, so I'm gonna dress them up like this to be cute. Yeah, They're, and it's like it's understood. Like those kids are troublemakers. Yes. Yeah. It's it's. I agree. I think that I'm interested. I, I have a feeling I know what my my rank is number one, but thing one and thing two have a lot of cultural cachet as mischief makers so whatever whatever we rank number one has got to really bring the thunder so mike i didn't intend to do this but i have another dark knight analogy oh let it rip this is i think i think that dr seuss is inherently breaking down dr seuss is inherently a referential thing because dr seuss's influence is felt everywhere especially in the batman franchise Oh, uh, no question yep Thing one and thing two are a couple of wild dogs. Mm-hmm. And I want the guy who let them out of the cage. Yep, that's the question. So who did that? Ironically, it was a cat. It was. It was a cat in a hat. So thing one and thing so in two... This, so in this scenario, the cat in the hat is Salvatore Moroni? Uh, yeah, precisely. And thing okay. one and thing two are the Joker, like we previously... We'd already, like, it was, I was actually, like, pretty incredible, right? Like, we just, we had just declared that thing one and thing two were the Joker, and now, that, that worked out better than, that is I perfect. So, like, thing one and thing two are, are wild and crazy, like, we just talked about, but, like, they were literally in a box. And no, none of that would have happened unless the cat had unleashed them, and the cat, like, knew exactly what he was doing it's not like he found a box and was like well it's in here i'm mischievous i'll open it he was like i'm gonna light this firecracker now and it's not like the cat's mischief started or ended with releasing thing one and thing two like even without those two like the cat can get up to his own mischief from the book i can hold the toy ship and a little toy man and look with my tail i can hold a red fan I can fan with the fans as I hop on the ball, but that is not all. Oh, no, that is not all. I'm not, I'm not embellishing. That's, it's like, that's how it's written. He's, but that is not all, period. Oh, comma, no, period. That is not all, dot, dot, dot. Like, (laughs) that's incredible. That's incredible characterization with a few strokes, like a little punctuation. Punctuation just did the cat in the hat for us. I like I think I think the cat is the king of mischief. Like his like that's his whole thing. Like he just shows up and he's a he's a fucking tornado. And he releases a little tiny tornadoes thing one and thing two, but he's the ringleader. Yeah. And like he has no ulterior motives whatsoever. He's just there to cause a ruckus. Yep. Well, what I think is interesting is actually this 
this conversation about thing one, thing two, the cat had all this stuff. Actually, it ties in well with the episodes we've been doing about Fantastic Beasts, where one thing we've learned from reading some of the JK stuff is when you start reaching for more and more exotic beasts, it's often a sign that, you know, you're running out of your really good ideas. And there's no question that Dr. Seuss has some really weird, funky creatures here. I think it speaks volumes about the cat as a species, particularly the common house cat, that this guy who would go on to use all of these crazy characters... A noothbrush. A noothbrush, exactly, felt comfortable that people associated cats strongly enough with mischief that he would entrust, perhaps, in, in our argument, his most mischievous character to the cat. Like, I love that idea because... The dog is not a mischievous creature. No. It is a silly, dopey creature that does something wrong and then feels bad about it. But it doesn't in the moment acknowledge its own mischief for the most part. There's, you'll occasionally get a dog that is a little bit mischievous. Cats are so mischievous. There's nothing a cat loves more than to recognize that you don't want it to do something. Look at you and then do it. And I just, I love that Dr. Seuss knows that about a cat. Like, this is not just the dude in the hat. It's not the who in the hat. It's not the goobly doobly in the hat. It's a cat in a hat. Yeah. I think Seuss probably had to be a cat owner. Yeah. Yeah. He, you have to intimately know a cat to know that they would be the perfect impish sort of mischievous dick. Right. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But it is kind of funny that, like, in this universe where Sneetches and yeah. Grinches and Who's and Hortons and all these things exist, that it would be a cat. It's all, I mean, it's more accessible, I guess, that way. But you're right. It's cool. And obviously, like, he's wearing a hat. So this is no normal cat. But I guess yeah. normal cats wear hats. I mean, have I been on Twitter? Like, what the hell am I talking about? Yeah, that's a good point. Our friend Stephanie. <laughs> Has that tiny little leprechaun hat, which I'm now thinking would look really good on my cats. Let's see if we can make that happen. Yeah, or at least my nephew. Mm. Oh, yeah, I'd like that, please. I know. Uh, I'm going to send you a picture of him. He's wearing this new little onesie he has that has uh, has camouflage on it, and he's just, he loves it. I love that goober. I'm excited to meet he's, him. He's a little cutie. So, I don't know, do we, <laughs> we're like, Bumping up against an hour and no, we're good. I I think I don't think this needs to be ranked. I think that you did a beautiful job ranking it to begin with. Thank you. I would recommend to everyone find like a like a couple day stretch where you think you're gonna have like a couple minutes a day and do the free trial of this Dr. Seuss thing and just read through his books. It was like like a really nice couple of hours just reading Dr. Seuss. I like got like quite a bit out of it and i had a ton of fun putting this list together and i picked yeah. rhymes that were relevant and were short enough that i could do it in in here but like he's a he's a real a really really talented writer and a poet so seriously i recommend looking into that it was it was nice i think in the f- in the future i will be going back to that so hope you guys enjoyed this one like i said i had a ton of fun researching it and and just now for the last hour so beautiful work Thanks, dog. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll recap him just in case we uh, want to hear him again. Yeah, let's do that. From, from That's 10 something to 1. we usually do. Usually, number ten were the Hop on Pop kids, hopping on pop. <laughs> number nine was the Onesler from the Lorax. Number eight, Vlad Vladikov of Horton Hears a Who. Number seven, the Grinch, the one who stole Christmas. Number six, That's the one, the Fox and Socks from his self t- self titled uh, autobiography. <laughs> number, number five my my contender for best uh best newcomer to my to my uh my literature lexicon is marvin k mooney yep from marvin k mooney will you please go now <laughs> love you marvin love you number four sylvester mcmonkey mcbean <laughs> you son, of a, you son of a bitch number three sam i am <laughs> number <laughs> number two a and b thing one and thing two <laughs> And number one, of course, the cat in that hat. Yeah. So, there we go. Beautiful. I love that one. I, let's uh, let's uh, look to recapture some of that magic. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. See you, buddy. All right. Thanks, dog. Bye.
Alrighty, friends. That was our top 10 for this week, but now we'd love to hear your top 10. So please check us out on all of our available social media outlets, traditional outlets, whatever outlets we have. Check us out on Twitter at Top10KM. That's all spelled out, Top10KM. Our email, Top10KM, spelled the same way, at gmail.com. Or our site, top10km.podbean.com all forms of communication accepted except for serial killer notes please don't send us any of those if you like the pod be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never have to miss an episode of top 10 ever again if you didn't like it please tell us why we'll try to make the show better our theme music was composed by kevin mcleod and our artwork was created by aaron sant you can check out her stuff at sant design on instagram Alrighty goons, we'll see you next week.